Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia routes 11 and 15 at Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Check out the great product lines of Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai. Incredible pre owned inventory. Great sales staff. Service department is terrific. Take care of the life of the vehicle. Great deals to be had as well. And it's all at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia, Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. And online at sunburymotors.com. Play-by-play call of the day. Bobby Abreu goes deep. Well hit the left field. Phillies have quickly tied this game and won. So the first official home run at Citizens Bank Park off the bat of Bobby Abreu. Bobby Abreu, for that one night, he put on a show in the All-Star game for uh, the home run hitting contest. Wow. All right. Well, sorry to hear that story at the end from Steve Futterman about they're wondering if certain zoos across the country will be able to open. I have uh, my son Mike has two children, Ryan and Madeline, and Ryan and Maddie. They they have a season pass to the Rochester Zoo, and children are fascinated by it. So I'd hate to see that happen. A lot of things I hate to see happening. Oof. Ah, such a tough time. Such a jolt and a wrench into the normalcy of life. Well, let's get to a slice of good news. One of the really great guys who has worked hard his entire life. He's got a work ethic that is second to none uh, and has become one of the top talent evaluators in the NBA because you know what? He worked his way to this. He's been smart about every step he's taken. And that is Calvin Booth, who is the general manager of the Denver Nuggets, who joins us from the bubble in Orlando. Calvin, welcome. It's great to have you with us. Thanks, Steve. I really appreciate it. I uh, really appreciate you very much. Uh, uh, I believe this has been, a, a, you know, obviously a tough year for you uh, in, in a lot of ways and in a momentous moment for you. Uh, but obviously to lose your dad this year, in some way, I mean, as great a moment as this is, how bittersweet is it in some ways? Yeah, definitely is bittersweet. Um, I'm, I'm glad you got to see me uh, enter the front office and get promotion after promotion. And uh, for sure, be really proud of me in this moment. Um, you know, so it definitely is really tough. Yeah, I just want to bring that up just so people are aware because I mean, your dad was a terrific guy. Man, what a terrific guy! Yeah. I always loved talking to him so much every time. All right, you worked your way through this. 
You know, I remember you're stopping the T-Wolves, and we were there that night at the, the Pistons-T-Wolves game. Ran into you last year in Chicago when you were doing some scouting there. Once you got out of the game as a player, and you had a long career in the league, what drew you in this direction? Yeah, I started to be drawn to it at the end of my playing uh, career, actually, Steve. I started to have more of an interest in team building and, and what, what players would be good enough to play in the NBA and what players weren't. And, uh, you know, Tim Conley, my current boss, was a great mentor to me. And uh, encouraged me to go to the pre-draft combine and encouraged me to go to Treviso uh, Euro Camp in uh, Italy. And so uh, doing things like that helped me uh, get more familiar with what it would take to work in this business and uh, really, really uh, catapult me into the position where I could be where I'm at today. Now, I wanted to talk about Conley uh, because uh, you know, everyone who succeeds, in my opinion, has to have somebody that's a really good mentor. What open the door for him to look at you and see something in you and conversely what have you taken from him that's allowed you to work your way up under his mentorship well I mean I know I know the MBPA and NBA spent a lot of effort on telling current players how to network and I just think it's being a good person Noah in 1999 I was drafted to the Washington Wizard and Tim Conley was a a video intern, I believe, and uh, you know, just being a regular guy, both being regular guys, we connected and had a friendship. And I didn't know at the time that Tim was going to be the president of basketball ops for the Denver Nuggets, man. So you know, uh, we started a relationship then, and just uh, continued on through the years. And at the end of my career, playing career, you know, I had some interest and encouraged me to go do these different things. And I mean, I think Tim's greatest quality is uh, his ability to connect people. Um, he's a he's a creative thinker. He, he can think on the fly, and um, I think I've tried to pick up some of those things from him. Uh, you know, with what I do. And of all the times to take over, uh, it was interesting that before we got started with the interview, you were talking with Thomas and. He said, "How much time do we have?" He said, "I'm in Orlando. I have all I have all 24 hours." <laughs> what, what is this? What is this like for you right now to be in this situation and be in the bubble situation that you're in? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think the NBA does a tremendous job of planning and preparation, and they've safeguarded this place like you wouldn't believe. And I think. Uh, Actually, it's probably going to be one of the safer places in the United States, I believe, for, for if you're trying to be protected from COVID. But the tough part about it is a lot of us are away from families and uh, we'll be gone for a extended period of time, so that part's never easy. But from a pure health standpoint, I think uh, the NBA has, is running a tight ship. What is it, uh, uh, Nikola? Uh Jokic was over in uh, in Europe, I believe, and I know he tested yeah. tested positive. What has that been like trying to get people back so now they could be ready? Because I know that you know he wants to play, so that's that's not an issue. He wants to play, yeah. but what's that yeah. been like considering the NBA is such an international uh, sport? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some hoops you have to jump through, and. Uh... I think it'll eventually be worked out, um, but the, you know, the NBA once again does a good job of connecting with the U.S. Embassy in Serbia and, and uh, helping us facilitate his uh, travel back to the bubble here. 
Uh, you ended up replacing uh, Taurus Karnasovas, who ended up be, uh, to go to the uh, Chicago Bulls. What did you learn from him in your time working with him as the assistant general manager? Yeah, uh, Taurus is a great leader. He's a very straightforward, genuine guy. Um, he's also a creative thinker. And I think he has a leadership style that, that uh, commands respect. And uh, I think that to have a presence, he was a very, very good European player. Um, he was the first guy to, to come, first year uh, player from the Soviet Union to come over and play college basketball. So he, he just had a crazy story, and it, it, was, uh, it was always interesting to be around to pick his brain and learn different things about the game. Oh, by the way, one other question about Jokic. He's lost a lot of weight, from what I understand. Is that true? Yeah, he did. He's done a fantastic job since the start of the season, like uh, trying to shed weight and, and bring his body fat percentage down. I, I think uh, what's, what's really interesting to me is that, like, uh, I think in the last game he played against the Dallas Mavericks, his his weight was probably only a few pounds heavier than what he what he's uh, <laughs> currently is right now. And I think the picture just hit the internet and everything went viral and you know maybe his style's just gotten better he looks slimmer now but uh, I think he did uh, lose a, a couple more pounds and probably shed some body body fat percentage along with that but I I, I think this uh, this whole narrative that like he lost 30 pounds since March or whatever you know like whenever he played that game I think it's uh a little, I think it's grown legs. I don't think it's uh, totally accurate. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's okay. Because weight was never a problem for you. <laughs> you, you were always yeah, acting yeah, the yeah, other yeah, direction. Yeah. You're always trying yeah, to yeah, bulk yeah. up all the time. Uh, the construction of a team and the construction of a roster. Uh, when you look at the, the current Nuggets going into will be the the end of the regular season and then into the playoffs. How do you like your team right now, Calvin? Oh, I really like our team. We have uh, one of the best coaches in the league, Mike Malone. We have uh, exciting young players like Nicole Jokic, uh, Jamal Murray, uh, Michael Porter Jr. We have veterans and Paul Millsap and Mason Plumlee, Will Bard, Xavier Harris. Uh, you know, we, we have a full complement of um, guys that can play multiple positions and they can play uh, a style of basketball that fits in today's game. How tough is it going to be with the compression now? I think the players have, I think, August 3rd, college players to declare uh, whether they're going to stay in the draft or not. Then there's going to be, obviously, the playoff. And then as soon as the playoff's over, boom, then there's going to be a draft. What? Uh, how tough is that going to make it for decisions you have to make about roster for the next season because the end of one season is going to be so close to the uh, beginning of another? Yeah, it will, it will be really tough. Uh, everything's going to be right on top of each other. The draft is October 16th. Uh, <clears throat> typically, that'd be the time that colleges uh, will be practicing. So um, we would be out scouting those guys in practices. And I don't know if there's going to be live scouting in the NBA this year uh, for colleges or international or whatever it may be. But uh, it's all going to be really interesting. Everybody's trying to figure it out as we go along. No question. What are the, what do you consider at least the initial challenges that you have as a general manager? You've had you've had some time to think about this. What are your initial challenges that that you're looking at right away? Well, I mean, I think see, the the toughest thing about uh, ascending the ranks of a executive in the NBA is the the higher you go, the more administrative stuff, stuff starts to creep in, and the contracts you have to renew. Or, 
negotiations for uh, different free agent contracts and staff contracts and work with the business side. And it becomes a, a challenge in that, you know, obviously it's, it's part of the course. You, you have no problem with the work and the work is fine, but you just don't want to lose sight of basketball and, and putting together a good team. So I think that's probably the most challenging thing is handling your day-to-day minutia while still realizing that the, the primary goal is to put together a competitive team and compete. Uh, obviously, here at Penn State, you're recruited. Ed DeCellis was your lead recruiter, if I recall correctly. And then, of course, Bruce Parkhill, your initial coach. But then Jerry Dunn the rest of the way through. What did Penn State do to set you up? Yeah, I mean, those guys were, were fantastic in my development. Uh, you know, uh, they, they wisely decided to register me, and I, I was able to start four years and, and get a bunch of minutes and a bunch of experience and uh, play in the Big Ten. So uh, I think all those guys had a, had a role in, in helping me become a player that was good enough to play in the NBA. What does it mean that you had the 10-plus the years in the NBA so you get it from the player's point of view and now you've had more than 10 years on the executive side? Does that mm-hmm. give you a balance as to how to look at everything from both sides? I think it does. I mean, I think uh, there's nothing like being out there and knowing how hard it is to play an NBA game and, and what players go through a day-to-day basis. So I think that it does give me a little insight and a different perspective of what a player is thinking uh, when times are bad and when times are good and, you know, uh, what he's looking for and what motivates him. Uh, so I think it does help in that way. And, and on the other side of it, very few players get a chance to work in the front office for a decade. So I, I think I, I understand the business of basketball. I understand, uh, you know, what it takes to, to keep fans engaged, to make the owner happy, and, to, and that the business side has a job to do as well. Uh, we talked uh, briefly about the bubble. You're, you know, you're in it right now. Uh, and the tough part about it being away from your family, but – how thorough, because I watched, I think I was watching on TV this morning, they were showing in a ballroom, a practice court being set up in a ballroom at Disney somewhere uh, along the way. How thorough is this, including right down to meals and rooms and so forth, has the NBA been about this, in your opinion? Yeah, I think that the NBA is the best league in the world. I think the preparation and the, the, the attention to detail is always top-notch. Um, everything is, is right on time. Everything, there's nothing that's out of place. There's nothing that's uh, missing. You know, uh, you don't have to go check on anything. Uh, everything is exactly how, as they planned. And uh, I think so far, so good. Uh, obviously, it's a lot of moving parts of K2 teams coming into this bubble. And, uh, you know, we're still in the first early stages of it. Uh, so we have to wait to see how things go when we start to practice and eventually play the game. What you do get out of there, that means living in living in Denver, obviously, which you've been doing. What's that experience been like for you living living in that in that city in Colorado? Well, Denver's a great city. I think it's a, a, a hidden gem. United States is the most sunshine, I believe, in the United States. You know, <laughs> over like three hundred days of sun, um, the snow <laughs> melts right away if it does if it does snow. And, uh, you know, obviously, nature is right there. You can go to the mountains. You can go. Whitewater rafting, you can you can, go, uh, you can do a number of things uh, of uh, outdoor nature. 
and uh, I think it's a really, really good place to raise a family. Well, Calvin, congratulations to you. My best to you, your family. You're going to do a great job out there. They're going to be thrilled with everything you do there because we know you. And uh, I guess I can't tell you enough how proud everybody is of what you've been able to accomplish to this point. And the best is yet to come for you. Thanks, Appreciate being here. Great to be with Calvin Booth, the general manager of the Denver Nuggets. He's worked for everything he has in life. He's smart and has a great work ethic. It's a pretty good combination to have. That's how you end up being a general manager on a pro sports level. That's why Brett Veach is the general manager he is with the Kansas City Chiefs, while Calvin Booth is the general manager of the Denver Nuggets in the NBA. Shohei Itani, by the way, was able to... um, Returned to the mound for the first time in an inter-squad scrimmage. You walked eight batters. They termed it a, quote, rough outing. (laughs) Really? Back with more in a moment. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors on News Radio 1070 WKOK. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Bryce Harper, by the way, a homered, or excuse me, a JT Real Muto, excuse me, homered today in an inner squad scrimmage at Citizens Bank Park. And as he walked to the plate, Andrew McCutcheon sung Bryce Harper's walk up song for him in the absence of a PA system. Then Real Muto homered, and Harper screamed out, sign him in the empty ballpark, and it echoed all over the place. Uh, we'll get to John Rothstein in a second. Promising development in the world of English soccer as the Premier League stages games without fans. Zero positive tests in the last round, which involved nearly 2,000 players, coaches, team members. Now, this is in England, of course. Okay. Now for the Ivy League. According to sources, no varsity sports in the Ivy League for the fall semester. The Ivies are the first Division I league to make this call. So there'll be no football for the Ivy League this year, no soccer, no uh, non-league basketball games in November and December. No games of any kind until January in the Ivy League. So the thought process had been that they would play football in the spring. No. Uh, They have decided they're not going to play football at all 
this year. And that's what they've decided to do in the Ivy League. Keep in mind the construction of the Ivy League. Okay, number one, okay, the TV contract is, you know, they, they have one, but it's really for the sake of carrying games. So they don't really, you know, there's no real TV obligation that's that's going to be a f- tremendous financial draw for them. And also remember the locations of the schools. The locations of the Ivy League schools, for the most part, have been in very hard-hit areas. Harvard's across the river from Boston. Providence is the home of Brown. Yale is in Connecticut, in New Haven. Columbia is in Manhattan. Penn is right in the heart of it in Philadelphia, the hardest-hit area in the state. Now, obviously, there are a couple of others that don't you know, quite fall into that category. Cornell is in western New York, Finger Lakes. That has not been hard hit. And Dartmouth is in New Hampshire, right on the Connecticut River, and that has not been hard hit. But everybody else has. Harvard, Brown, Yale, Columbia, Penn. They've all been hard hit. And I think it, it makes, I think the location of those schools has made a difference. They can't, they were the first ones to cancel their college basketball tournament. And now the Ivy League has decided to cancel its fall sports season. All right, more in this next half hour. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Check out the great lines of Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai. Great pre-owned inventory. Interest rates are incredible. Sales staff always works with you. Service department second to none for the life of that vehicle. And it's all at Sunbury Motors, the best in the business. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. And online at sunburymotors.com. Right, several developments today in sports. The Ivy League will not have uh, any football, any fall sports. A lot of people thought that the Ivy League would move football to the spring. No. They are going to just not play. Now keep in mind the locations of the universities. Harvard, just across the Charles River in Cambridge from Boston. Hard-hit area. Penn, Philadelphia, right in the city. Hard-hit area. Columbia, Manhattan, hard-hit. Connecticut was hard-hit. New Haven was. Yale. Providence. How many times you hear Dr. Burks mention during, especially the early stages, is that Providence had been a struggle area. 
Brown. Uh, New Jersey hard hit, Princeton. Now, Dartmouth and New Hampshire, that area's been okay, and Cornell uh, in the uh, southern part of the Finger Lakes region, okay. But they've been in a hard-hit area. Harvard had already said that they were going to go to online teaching anyway for the fall semester. So they're not going to do anything in the fall and the first time they'll do anything, they'll make a decision on what to do with winter sports uh, in a couple of weeks. As of right now, the earliest they would start anything would be after uh, January 1st. So that's what the Ivy League has decided. Stanford, meanwhile has decided that at the end of the upcoming year, 2020-21, that they will then drop 11 sports. Many of them you probably did not know were NCAA sports. But the varsity programs that they will drop at the conclusion of the 2021 academic year will be men's and women's fencing, field hockey, lightweight rowing, men's rowing, co-ed and women's sailing, squash, synchronized swimming, men's volleyball, and wrestling. There are only two field hockey programs on the West Coast. Men's volleyball has about a 9% participation rate in intercollegiate athletics. As they pointed out, every sport that's being dropped here has a less than 22% participation rate among 350 schools across the country. You're asking, well, wrestling. Wrestling's 21%. And unfortunately for wrestling, shrinking by the month. Old Dominion has already dropped it. Now Stanford is going to drop it. There have been points in the past where there has been an attempt to drop wrestling at Stanford. And they've been able to find backers to keep the program going. This time, I don't think it's going to work. This time, this time, I don't think it's going to work. I think this is just one of those times where I just don't think it's going to happen. I don't mean that in any disparaging way. I just think that the times are dictating a different atmosphere. They're going to go from 36 sports to 25. And 
remember, as you make that drop from 36 to 25 or anywhere else where there's going to be a cut, you have to keep your Title IX numbers very important part of it. You have to keep that in mind as you do this. Wrestling doesn't have the counter. So they decided to take the 22% level as their level and go from there. Men's volleyball, for example, is 9% participation rate. Wrestling's 21%. Only two field hockey programs are on the West Coast. Stanford was one of them. And that enters into it. This is... So that makes it tough across the board. Obviously, a lot of people in our area care deeply about wrestling, and there are a lot of quality wrestlers here. That, that if we can advance in life here, we'll get one last chance to wrestle for Stanford. I mean, they had they had three All Americans last year at Stanford. Shane Griffith at one sixty five, Nathan Traxler at one ninety seven. Uh, Real Woods at 141. I mean, last time Stanford had three All-Americans in the same year in wrestling was 2011. And Woods and Griffith, by the way, are now going into their sophomore seasons. But I, you know, I know the program has been saved in the past, but I think times are different now. It's not like Stanford doesn't have a wealthy endowment; they do. But this is a little different time. You know, it's eleven sports, so it's not just wrestlers. I mean, there's field hockey players. I mean, there's a lot of athletes here, and they're going to be also professionals that work with these programs, from coaches to assistant coaches to academic staff, so forth. They're also going to have their jobs affected by this. So those are the two prominent stories. I mean, the other one is the 14,000 number that the Ravens put out today. Now the NFL may ask for an endowment. You know, it's... Uh, I'm sorry, wrong word, because I was thinking about Stanford. An escrow account with the players, and that's not going to fly. If you're going to play all 16 games, you should get all your money. But the Ravens say in a 71,000 seat stadium, they think 14,000 is going to be their top out number. We'll see if others say the same thing. How incredibly tone deaf is the NFL? After everything that went on with baseball, and now they're going to start with this three weeks before training camp starts. It's just 
That just well, doesn't just make sense to me. Look, they just negotiated the CBA. You know what? This is a year where if you've got to sit there, look, the NFL... The NFL has an uncertainty for 2020, okay, like everybody does. We're all sitting here today, and I, you know me, I haven't speculated much because, to me, it's uh, a day-by-day basis. It's guesswork. There's, uh, no need to guess, all right? So let's just let it play out as we go here. The NFL knows they already have 10 years of labor peace. They negotiated the CBA. So that part's in place. They also know that they're going to have a mega, mega TV deal probably a year from now. And what's going to help them have that mega TV deal with multiple networks is they already have the 10 years of labor piece. Not only that, they have one of their prime playing attractions locked up for 10 years in Kansas City. Guy that you can argue is their most marketable player. So they've got all this going. There's no need for them to to sit there and say, well, we're not going to have that many people in the seats. Guess what? Hey, if you really look at the numbers, the TV money equals the contract. equals equals the uh, salary cap for each team. Okay. It's not bad to have it that way, is it? There's no, there's, in this particular year, if this was long-term, then yeah. But in this particular year, they don't need to make that ask. And by the way, the NFL Network also reporting now, NFL, NFLPA discussing plan for potential player opt-outs in 2020 and opt-out date still to be determined. Right. That's fine. Every Everybody should have that. Everybody should. Everybody should have an opt-out. I mean, I don't care. You know, whatever it is dealing with, with, with sports, yeah, I received a note today from Learfield wanted to know about my personal comfort with doing home and away games and traveling. They wanted they they wanted to make sure how I felt. I haven't talked to them, but I mean, I filled it out. And you know, if anybody wants to know, I mean, I, I I told them that I was absolutely comfortable being at home, absolutely comfortable being away, and absolutely comfortable traveling. Again, that's my personal comfort level. I am never going to assign my personal comfort level to your personal comfort level. Many of you out there may have answered those questions differently. I answered it because that's how I feel. I would never assign how I feel to you. Never. Everybody has to have their own comfort. And if there are athletes out there that are not comfortable, whether it's the NFL or the WNBA, that are not comfortable with this, I completely get it. Completely get it. I mean, it's all about comfort. 
And Mike, you know, a lot of, it doesn't mean that I, you know, it doesn't mean I can't get it. Of course I can. Anybody can. I can get it. But I also know that the other, for me personally, you know, when I look at it personally, when I'm seeing nearly 95 to like 94 to 95% of the tests being negative, that tells me something. And believe me, I've done a lot of reading of the data, a lot of it. And my personal, personal comfort level is to say, hey, I have no problem doing home games. I have no problem doing away games. I have no problem traveling. That's me. Many of you out there would have answered those questions differently, and I totally respect that completely. So, yes, they need to have an opt-out for the NFL. They need to. I think that that's that's important. Some have exercised that in baseball. Some have exercised that in the NBA. So far, nobody's exercised it in the NHL to our knowledge. Doesn't mean they won't. And then the NFL needs to put together a date to opt out. I think they need to put two dates in. I think you need to put a date to opt out, and I think you have to have a second one in camp or suddenly, like, Couple weeks before the season, you go through this. I'm, you know what? I don't. I'm, I'm not comfortable with this. I think that's. But I'll go back to Calvin Booth, the general manager of the Denver Nuggets, who joined us in the previous half hour. He is in Orlando right now, in the bubble. And as he pointed out, he said, "Look, the NBA has put a tremendous amount of thought into it. He's comfortable being down there right now." Doesn't like being away from his family. He's a great family man. Doesn't like that part of it. But I I could tell the comfort level he had being there because he felt like the NBA's put a lot of work into it to be careful. All right. We'll come back with more in a moment. Great to have you with us. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors on News Radio 1070 WKOK. So the Ivy League will not do anything in the fall. No football, soccer, field hockey, whatever it may be. No fall sports. Uh, many had been discussing the possibility that the Ivy League would move football to the spring. Nope, they're not going to do it. They're not going to play it. Uh, the earliest any Ivy League competition will take place will be January 1st. And even that they will decide in a couple of weeks about what to do with winter sports. But there will be no fall sports in the Ivy League. Stanford cut 11 sports, including field hockey, men's volleyball, and wrestling. They will be able to. They will be allowed to compete this year, and then they will, at the end of the 2021 academic year, drop those 11 sports. Now, many of them are sports that you you may not even you probably didn't even know they had. Uh, co-ed and women's rowing and sailing, men's and women's sailing and things like that. But the prominent ones are men's volleyball, but there's a 9% school participation rate. Field hockey, there are only two field hockey programs on the West Coast. And wrestling, which is at a 21% school participation rate. Uh, Meanwhile, here in Center County, uh, two new COVID-19 cases. So after a 
bit of a mini spike last week where I think the high number was seven or something like that. It's now settled back into that zero to two range again. So I don't know about the valley. I know I was listening to Mark yesterday morning, and Mark said in the valley on Monday there were none. Correct. That was, that was from Sunday. Then we had handful yesterday. We have 11 new today total in our okay. four counties here. Four counties, 11. All right. Um, see, Mark, I listen. <laughs> Just want to make sure. All right. So, again, let's get back to the uplifting part of sports. Yeah, there's been a couple of IndyCar races. Yeah, there's been... NASCAR every week. Yeah, there's been golf tournaments. But it has not been a galvanizing sports moment for months now, until yesterday, when Jack Ham on the 10th hole at Sunny Hannah hit a pitching wedge and got a hole in one. I was a witness. <laughs> Ron Moeller, the great Ron Moeller, fabulous Bob Brumbaugh, and I were witnesses to uh, Jack's hole-in-one, the second of his life, second one in his lifetime, hole-in-one. And uh, hit the left side, trickled down the hill, kept edging its way toward the cup, kept edging its way toward the cup. Then I went over to tee up because I was the next one up. And also to hear Bob Brumbaugh say, it went into the hole. We're like, we're like, really? Then he went out and he missed an eagle by an inch and a half on the next hole in the par five. He was three under par in the back after two holes. <laughs> so let that be the feel-good moment of the day. feel like we're constantly in search of something to have fun with. I can guarantee you that was fun. There was a group that yelled and screamed about something later, and somebody came up to our table afterward, and they said, was that you guys yelling and screaming about Jack's hole in one? I said, no. I said, I think that group over there got a par on 13. <laughs> <laughs> 